Group rides can be great fun, but they can also be stressful from dealing with having to ride too close so you don't lose the group or to eating clouds of dust from the line of bikes out front. Well, the good news is there's ways to enjoy a group ride safe and dust-free, and we have it for you today. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as the MCM top pick in their recent compressor comparison. www.cyclepump.com I'm Sam Manicum. Nick Sanders. Terry Borden. Sandy Borden. Jack Borden. Graham Field. Austin Vince. Jason Spafford. Lisa Murray. David Peterson. Rachel. Ed March. Glenn Hickstead. Dr. Gregor W. Fraser. Dave Barr. Michelle Lambert. Tiffany Coates. Herbert Schwartz. Brett Tatt. Zoe Cano. Nathan Millward. Graham Hoskins. Joe Rowe. Jeremy Craker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Simon Pavey. Grant Johnson. Robert Wick. Seth Simon. Elizabeth Martin. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm, which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil. www.motobreeze.com. That's two eyes in there. www.motobreeze.com. Group rides can be a lot of fun. You have other people there to share the experience with. You have help if there's a problem. Even the camaraderie of like-minded fellow riders, they're all part of what can make a great day of motorcycle fun for a group. But a poorly organized group ride could have you eating dust all day long, riding too close so that you don't lose your leader, or pushing yourself too hard to keep up with riders that are not suited to your riding style. Today on this rider skill segment, Brett Tax is going to give us two methods that the pros use for group rides. As well, he's got a bunch of tips for you if you're joining someone else's organized ride. Brett, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. I am happy to be back. Exhausted but happy. Well, summer's coming to an end, right? I mean, we're at, oh, basically, when we're recording this, we're at the sort of the last day of kind of what I call summertime. I and mean, because we, we go into September and it's like, you know, it's that back to school thing, whether you have kids or not, it seems like everybody talks about getting back to work. 
Well, I don't know about getting back to work. I'm feeling like I'm just getting ready to cool down just a little bit. We just finished our last uh, training tour up through the Cascade Mountains. And so I'm I'm finally getting a chance to sit down and, and kind of put together next year. And, and I'm actually looking into the next season already. So I'm 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 enjoying the chance just to kind of settle down a bit. So are you done the training expeditions for this year? Yeah, we've just finished our last one last week. And um, I'm just we've already got dates down for 2018. We're looking to add a few more. We've got the adventure camps already planned out and dates up for next year. So, yeah, it's we're, we're already looking into the next season. Well, it's great to be busy. And and it's interesting, what we're going to talk about today, some people may have been doing already throughout this summer, and, and some will probably get into it. A lot of riding still in the fall as, as we go in, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere, or if you're in, of course, the land down under, you're just coming up to a season, and this is, is definitely for you right now. It's riding with groups, because it seems like an easy thing to do. You know, you get a bunch of buddies together, you organize a group, or maybe you join a group that was posted online, and it seems like a simple thing. But it's not, is it? It's amazing how much training we have to do to train other riders how to manage and stay together as a group. And and this is everything from military military riders out in the woods to to law enforcement and rescue groups we've worked with, civilian riders on the street doing things for that. And and like I said, just last week we did a tour you know, one of our training tours up and through the Cascades. And, and we need to train all of these riders how to maintain and how to ride within a group because it's definitely different than if you're out just by yourself or with another buddy. What's the first thing that you run into with riding with a group? And I'm just going to throw this out there because I think it, I know what it is. Is it riding distance between the two riders or other That's, riders? Well, and it, that's absolutely the, the, the major issue. And there's, there's two things. One is, and we talked about this, uh, some time ago, just talking about, you know, people's ability to, you know, to stop, you know, when you're on the street, but off road, uh, people really underestimate the value of visibility. And I think we, we kind of get caught up and sucked into the fact that we, we need to stay with our buddies or somehow if, if they stop and they have to wait for a few minutes for me to show up that, that I'm slow and, you know, I've seen some really good riders sustain some pretty significant injuries just because they're riding so close to the other riders, they couldn't see what was going on because of the dust that was getting kicked up. Some of that happens with anytime we get it with a group, doesn't it? Where there's um, just that excitement level rises. And a lot of times people get moving fast in a group. And like you said, they want to stay within the distance or within sight of the bike in front of them. But that's what happens when you get a bunch of people running along at high speed, I guess without a plan, really. And that's what we're going to talk about now, is a plan to organize it so that you can ride off-road safely. Well, and we ride with other people for different reasons. Sometimes you want to be with your friends or share the experience. And, and a lot of us, it's just for the the extra security that you have somebody there if something goes wrong to help out or that you're there to help somebody else out. And And again, that's a lot of what our tours are about is just being able to provide people that support and that safety, you know, that, that piece of safety that, that makes them much more comfortable so they can explore and being comfortable about getting that distance. So you don't feel like you have to keep everybody in sight or that you don't have to feel to keep, you know, like you have to keep up with them is, is really, really, really critical to, to relaxing and being able to enjoy or, or just feeling like you can stop and take a picture and you're not going to be left behind. So, 
yeah, that group management thing is extremely critical. And there's also the problem with coming to crossroads. You know, the, the front rider is long gone by the time the back rider shows up and has to figure out where should I go? Do I turn right, left, straight? And that's that's the critical aspect right there. And, and you know, we have a couple different methods that we use that we um, teach for riders. And this works whether we're in the dirt, on a trail system, whether we're adventure riding, or even out on the street. Because on the street, I often encourage people to ride their own ride, you know, spread out and go enjoy the corners if you want to or or kick back and chill if you don't. And the one that we found to be the most foolproof is one that's uh, it's a leapfrog method. And the way we organize our groups is we always have the lead rider who remains the lead rider. That's the guy who knows where everybody's going. It's the one that is responsible to making sure that the, the tail's always there, that all the riders are still in motion. And so that person always stays up at the, at the front. And then we always designate a, a sweep rider, the last rider in the group. And that's usually one of the best riders, the strongest riders out there. And they also know the entire route, where things going, and they're usually in communication with the lead. So those riders never change. But the riders in the middle change consistently. And, and we call it leapfrogging because that's exactly what the riders do is every time they come up to one of these intersections or a change in direction, because um, that's where people get lost, they go wandering off, the, the lead rider will take the next rider behind them and they'll have them stop and they'll wait at that intersection. And they'll wait there until the very last sweep rider comes up. And so every rider that comes up behind them, they'll just point them down the trail or point them down the road that they need to go. And when the very last rider comes up, then they're free to continue on and do the ride. And they just continually do this. So it, throughout the day, they're keep, they keep rotating where riders keep coming up into that second position and falling back to that last position. And it's the nice thing about it is you don't have to wait about somebody accidentally missing the intersection there. They just stay there until the next rider comes or the last rider comes up or second to last rider. That's nice for the group, too, because then you're not always riding the same position. You're continually moving, as you said, continually leapfrogging. I picture it as a backwards leapfrog, though. It, it kind of is. It, it, that's exactly what it is. You're, you're not running from the back to the front. You're going from the front to the back. And, and that way you're also not chasing to catch up. Uh, it's, it's a really, really nice way to do things. And the other thing it does is it, it gives you a break. If you're running up second position and you stop, it's actually kind of nice to kind of sit there and, and let things cool off. A lot of times it's your chance to, to grab a drink of water or to clean off the, the dust off your shield. And it really gives an opportunity to, to keep that safety going on because people do get dehydrated because they're not thinking about it. They're always pushing to stay at the front or they, the dust gets so thick they can't see through their, their shield. So this, this really does work well for not just maintaining the group but also giving people that break to do that. So just to recap that, it's sort of like a bracket that you've got there. You've got the, the lead rider and your sweep rider always stay in those positions and the rest of the group rotates through. Front to back. That's yeah. exactly it. And, and it's a fantastic method. But it's not what everybody wants to do. There's other methods that work as well. And the one we've used uh, most traditionally is actually, and we, we're using the leapfrog a lot more now, was just a tag and go. And it's very similar where the lead rider in second, again, you mentioned is bracketing. That's a great way to put it. But the lead and the, the sweep always remain in the same position. So that never changes. But when that that second position rider stops at that intersection. What they do is they stay there until the next rider comes up and tags them. And then they're able to go on. And 
we want them to tag and not just go, oh, they saw me and keep going. For one thing, a lot of times the riders aren't looking where they're supposed to go. <laughs> so they're not, <laughs> their eyes aren't up. They don't actually see the rider at the intersection. So the rider takes off and, and by the time their eyes look up, the intersection's empty. They don't know where to go. But also that rider coming up may actually be trying to get help. You know, something farther back may have actually happened and they're trying to get up to those riders and go, hey, we need your help back here because you know, mm. we have a flat tire or we had a mechanical problem or, or, you know, worst case scenario, somebody got hurt. And when you just go, oh, they saw me and you take off, now all of a sudden the group is broken up and you don't have that extra manpower. You don't have that help or maybe they just need the tools that are on that bike. So we, we really encourage to have a complete tag where they come up and, and they, and they just, you know, they give them a thumbs up so that they can keep going. And then that next rider, they stop and they wait for the next rider. And then they are able to go and that next rider waits for the next rider. And it continues on until that last rider shows up and then they keep moving. And so they don't change the order. And, and certainly sometimes riders want to stay in the front or they want to stay in the back. And this gives another method where you're not changing position. Um, so, yeah, there's a couple of different ways that you can manage, you know, the, these groups. And it's a very, very important thing to discuss before you go out. The tagging, I think that's great. That's key, isn't it? I mean, that was so important to throw into that method. It's so easy just to ride away, like you say, and not know that somebody has problems behind you. So, so that's great. So there's two good methods with it. But you mentioned dust. How do we deal with the dust? Because that's one of the worst things when you're riding the back roads. You've got a group, especially if you are within sight of a few bikes in front of you, you are eating a ton of dust. It, it, you know, we, it, we have some beautiful riding. And last week we had so much dust. You, even a rider who was going very slowly was just kicking up these huge plumes. And when it settles down, it doesn't always come really crisp. Your visibility doesn't become very sharp until it's completely settled on the ground. So when riders space out just enough for the dust to kind of thin, what they're not realizing is as it's settling, it's softening all of the features on the ground. So where the rider in the front may be able to see the roots or a rock or, or a hole in the ground that they need to go around – that dust may settle and soften it just enough that you're not going to see that and you'll end up hitting them. And of course, you know, you may end up uh, just having a very exciting moment. You might end up hurting your bike or, or worse yet, you end up hurting yourself. And so that dust, you, you've got to give that space. And we, we consistently remind our riders, put the gap, space it out. And, and it's amazing. I, I just don't understand why riders don't just do that. It's not fun. You know, you're sitting there, your face is covered in dirt and, and you've got a cloth over your mouth. So you don't have, you know, brown all the way around your lips and your shield is all covered up. And I, I'm not exactly sure why people like doing that, <laughs> but we find ourselves constantly saying space out, gap out, give yourself some room so that you can see what's going on. So the, also, so you're picking your own route and you're not just following what those other riders are doing because it may not be the best choice for you. The reason people are doing that is probably because they haven't got a management system in place. So they're using visual connections from one bike to the next. They're following close enough because they need to see that rider in front of them because they'll have no idea where to go to the next intersection. Well, one of the things I advise riders to do when they go, when they decided to ride in a group or they're putting something together is, you know, be ready to to leave the group, you know, especially on the street. It's much easier to do on the street than it is out in the woods. So if you're riding with a new group and they're not riding a way that you feel safe or you're comfortable, you need to be prepared just to be able to, you know, to let the riders know that, hey, I'm, I'm going to go on my own way. 
And part of that's because you end up riding in ways you wouldn't do that puts you in danger. And when you feel like you need to keep up with those riders, especially if you're a newer rider off road and you're riding with more experienced people or people that are just willing to ride faster. If you feel like you have to keep them in sight because you don't know where they're going to go and you're going to get lost in the woods, then, then you start doing things that, that put you in danger. And, and again, that's why navigation is a huge thing that we teach people, you know, paper and we do maps, apps, and GPSs now. I mean, we, we do the whole gamut when we teach people how to navigate. And part of that is if for some reason you get left behind, if the people you're riding with aren't good about managing, and I've had this happen to me where I've ridden with people and I show up at the staging area after I've had some issue and they're like, yeah, we wondered what happened to you. And I'm like, you haven't seen me in three hours. You know, why am I riding with you? And so for newer riders, it's really important to, to try to become as independent as you can. And then, of course, be very selective about the people you ride with and, and how you choose to ride. And, and having that management system is pretty key. And that's really important, isn't it? You just mentioned about the navigation. It's really important that if you're going to do any sort of group ride, that you have your own system, that you've already worked it out in advance, that you're not just going on following everyone along. Because I think we've all been on rides with a group where you end up having to do exactly what you said there, leave partway through. Because I find most group rides that I have been on end up riding too fast or doing things like that, where it's, um, it's just things that I'm not comfortable with. Well, and I think the other thing, when you look at groups, that is somehow you get a pack mentality. And I, I see this sometimes going to some of the, you know, if you go to rallies and these these group rides go out or guys get together and they go out, that often they ride very differently when they're with other riders than they do by themselves. And differently usually means faster and they take more risk. And I, I have to remind, it doesn't matter how, and I, and I, I beg all of your listeners, take this advice. It doesn't matter how good you are, how fast your bike is, how wonderful your tires are. When you're on those roads that are that are multi-use roads and you have potential of traffic coming the other way, you're limited by your sight line, by how quickly you can stop. And you've got to assume that the other drivers coming the other way aren't necessarily following all the rules or going to reasonable speed either. So it's not just how quickly you can stop. You've got to calculate for the other. I, I've seen some really close calls out there. So this brings me to a question I wanted to ask you when we plan to talk about this. When it's not a, an organized group, in other words, if somebody's not, I mean, if they're going out with you, that's fine. They get, they're going to expect you're going to run the show and it's going to be done right. But if it's a thing where just a group of friends get together, somebody posted on the internet and you go there and it's clearly not organized, what's our options with that? Uh, usually what I, tr well, depending how unorganized it truly is. I mean, if you're on a if you go to a rally, and a rally is a great way for a lot of riders to kind of break into the sport or to, to share ideas. And so I, I'm certainly, I, I, I think they're a wonderful thing. I just think you, you need to be very aware of when you go out. But if nobody's keeping track of you, you got to wonder what's the point? You know, why are you riding with these people if, if nobody's tracking you? And in those cases, you can just leave, you know, just pick another route or or just back off and let some and, and put some space between you and that group so that you're not influenced, that you're not part of that group anymore and, and ride on your own or, or find the one or two riders that you get along with and break off and, and have your own group. If it's, if it's a group that's trying to maintain um, integrity and they're watching out for each other, then please don't just take off. You know, let, let them know that you're going to break off the group because – I, I've also been in that situation where I've had to go back looking for riders who had decided just to 
wander off and do their own thing. And then we're out in the woods trying to find out where they are. You spend half the day looking for somebody because they just decide to go off on their on their merry old way. So, you know, certainly that communication is is an important to understand, but you, you just have to be willing to walk away, do your own thing. And I guess another thing you could do is right at the start, and it's the same as any organized event, you can sort of talk to the person or or the people that are in charge, see how it's going. And then if you're not comfortable with that, of course, you can opt out at that point. But you could also suggest that and just say, oh, well, how is this working? You know, are are you keeping track of us? And what happens if I decide to leave the group, et cetera, et cetera? So here's here's another way to do this is and I do this anytime I lead a group or anytime I'm I'm, I think about being involved in one is I kind of turn into a snob. And what I do is I, I take a walk around and I, I'm very careful to listen to the conversation and how other people are talking. What are they, what are they jabbering about? Are they talking about the great pictures they took? Are they talking about, are they all comparing stories about how fast they were? Or are they talking about all their near misses? I look at their bikes. How are their bikes equipped? If I'm riding a big oil head GS and I'm running on street tires and I'm, I'm looking at these other guys and they're all on KTM 350s with knobbies and, and no luggage and they might be riding very different than, than me. And, but I look at the conditions of their bikes. Do they take care of their equipment? If I walk up and their, guy, their bikes are falling apart and their, their chains are sagging and they're, and they're dry and their, their tires have been you know, tore up and their, their bikes are scraped up, this might be a pretty good indication to me that this isn't the group I want to ride with. Hmm. So there are plenty of things you can look at before you even make the commitment to do something. You mentioned lead and sweep, and, and I'm not sure if we talked about this already, but how are you choosing a lead and sweep? Well, I mentioned just kind of briefly, for me, my lead and sweep are, are generally my most knowledgeable, my most experienced, and my best riders. And the lead, because the lead is not just riding. They're also doing the navigation. They're watching behind and make sure the group stays intact. They're the ones that need to know where they should be stopping to make sure that the whole group is still rolling together and they don't end up at the end of the ride and go, well, I've got three riders behind me and we're missing three. Um, They're keeping in touch with the tail. They should be the ones that are helping to kind of monitor the group to make sure that, you know, we're get, they're getting ample breaks and things like that. It's, it's, a, it's a position of responsibility if you're going to take the lead. And then the sweep rider is the same thing. That's the one that's going to be at the back, and they don't have any safety. They have nobody behind them watching out for them. If they fall down, they're hoping that some of the less experienced riders uh, are going to end up coming back to them. And the most, uh, the most experienced rider is probably going to be the lead rider. And so the, he has to wait until that rider comes all the way back. And so that's the rider you want to worry about the least. That's the one you want to assume isn't going to be falling down, isn't going to have problems, that if somebody else has issues that they're going to be equipped to, to help them and just equipped with the knowledge and the right personality. And so it's very important for me picking those two uh, those two positions. How do you know when to turn around? You know, if if you haven't, let's say you're doing the leapfrog method and you're sitting there waiting, at what point do you turn around and start heading back? My mine is really simple. I when I stop, if I if I'm waiting for the next rider behind me, you kind of get an idea of how long it takes for them to to come up behind you. So if I'm riding and we're we're creating enough distance that we're not eating each other's dust. I'm probably going to wait at an intersection for a certain amount of time. And if it takes them 30 seconds or one minute to catch up and that's what they're doing all day, that's the norm. So I kind of have an idea how far they're trailing behind. If they go beyond that norm or double that norm, I flip a U-turn, I go back. Because the way I think about it is how long do I want to be impaled on a branch somewhere before somebody comes back and looks for me? (laughs) And, And that's how I judge my return. 
What about the what ifs? So do, do, before you go, do you say, okay, this is how we're going to handle if somebody has a problem with their bike breaks down. Um, this is how we're going to handle this. Do, do you run through that? We, you know, with the, with the organized, you know, tours, it's less of a concern because we put that all together. So we already have a recovery vehicle. We're already carrying all the panniers who are reducing, you know, their load and the, the chances of injury. And we put that all together, but certainly if it's a more casual organization, having those actually discussing those can help you not get into a bind. Cause if you're, if you're up on the mountain and somebody breaks their bike and they turn to you and they go, well, now what do I do? And all of a sudden they make it your problem and you're like, well, it's your bike, man. You, you figure it out. <laughs> you know, hmm. hey, have you, have you done that? Or do you go, okay, well, we're going to get you off the mountain, but how do you get home? And even with the tours, we have to be, you know, most, you know, a lot of the people are riding their own bikes and others are, are renting bikes from uh, tour USA and they ride those bikes out and you know, they're, are they expecting us to take their bike off the mountain and then get them home for them or you know, so we have to be clear up up in front. You know, how far how far is our responsibility going to go? And and certainly, I'm I'm not a fan of leaving anybody in a mountain. But uh, again, if you're on a motorcycle and somebody breaks it up on you know one of these high ridges that that's a four by four section, um, you. What is the expectation? Are are you just going to say, well, we're going to ride you off the mountain and then it's on your own? Or are we going to help you get off the bike? Or are we going to have a support vehicle to come back? And and it helps you not get into the the struggles or even a loss of friendship, you know, if it doesn't go well, because you haven't talked about it ahead of time. And and there's not a right or wrong on what that is. It's just, does everybody agree? You know, is everybody on the same page? What do you do with with a rental bike? I mean, you know, if somebody rents a bike from you and they break down somewhere, it, it's their responsibility to get it back to you, right? It, it is. If they're just renting and going off on their own, then yeah, they're just up in the mountain. They're they're on their own, and and certainly if they expect a a vehicle to come from us to go pick them up, it might be, you know, an eight nine hour drive. If they're in the state of Washington, it could be nine hours one way just to get to where they're at. And then, you know, the recovery time and everything else. So certainly, you know, if it's a, a rental bike and Tour USA is doing it, they'll send a recovery vehicle out, you know, if, uh, but it's not going to be for free. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're on your own bike, it's the same thing. Well, a lot of these places, you can't call a tow truck. And, and frankly, it, we haven't even talked about this, but I know we're heading the direction is communication wise, you may not even have a cell phone to call for a tow truck or to call for something else or to try to get a local, uh, to come up and, and do something. And, and these are the contingencies riders don't want to think about and often don't consider, you know, what happens if. And it's difficult with a group because you, if you're a less experienced rider and you join a group just for that reason to gain experience and ride with them, if you haven't worked that out and you have a breakdown, you could find yourself so far out of your comfort zone and, and left alone if you haven't worked it out to begin with. It's important to know that if that group is, if they're all going to stick around while the one bike gets fixed or whether a lot of them are going to say, well, you know, obviously I got, you deal with that. I got to be home by six because I'm having dinner. You know, that, that definitely is something that has to be dealt with. Well, and this is where the, you know, the adventure camps that we, that we teach through PSSOR and the training tours become so important because when the riders come to us, they're coming to us because they know that there's more to know. And often the subjects that we cover, whether it's, you know, how to fix a flat on the side of the trail or how to do navigation or even just how to pick your bike up, you know, whether you're by yourself or with a friend, that these are things that people don't know they don't know. 
And so if you're a new rider just going out with a group to get experience, you don't even know what questions to ask. You know, how, how do you know? Because you don't even know to ask the question Mm -hmm. until you get the experience. And so if you are the more experienced writer and you have somebody joining you, you know, giving them some idea and some perspective is, is a nice way to go. And and of course, you know, being a, a, a trainer in the industry, my suggestion is always, you know, come down and do something like the adventure camp where it's designed to not just talk about how to ride in the woods, but more importantly, what are all the other considerations that we need to, to think? How do we set the bike up so it's a proper fit so you have the best control? What things do you put on the bike to protect it so you don't end up with broken levers or a broken bike? Or, or what do you do so you don't turn your bike into a 700-pound a armored tank, but then you can't ride it because it's too heavy? And these are all those other facets of, of even how to pack light. I, I, I don't know how many bikes I, I go to to the rallies and I see them and I don't exactly know how they fit all the things on their bikes, but they are, they're hugely overpacked. And I'm just thinking, wow, they, they really could lighten that load, but they don't know how they don't know what they, what's important and what's not important. They're not sure what to leave behind. And that's where that, that training comes in and, and that experience comes in. Now, I'm just going to take a quick one-minute break and thank a couple of sponsors that helped make this episode possible for you. The first Overland Expo East is coming up. They have two of them, Overland Expo West and East. And the East is coming up Friday, September 29th through Sunday, October 1st at the Biltmore Estate in Asheville, North Carolina. And you probably heard Sam Manicom talk about this on our Raw show. Uh, he says that it is an amazing venue. The Overland Expo event is huge for Overlanders, especially for us motorcyclists. And uh, there's a ton of, ton of new things they've got for 2017. For bikers, they've got uh, training, vendors, classes, presentations, the sort of list goes on so for new for 2017 they've got um a centralized moto village which has um tons of motorcycle companies there with the latest riding gear accessories luggage tech and and tons more they've got an an africa road challenge course where they had a team of experts build a curriculum based on real world obstacles so you take the classes on friday and saturday and then you put what you learned to the test on the sunday for their skills challenge they've got a motorcycle exhibition skills area where classes on everything from proper packing to border crossings. So whether you're planning a around the world trip or just simply, you know, interested in, in how this stuff works, they say they've got great instructors uh, and they're going to share their experiences and their wisdom from being on the road. So one day tickets start at $15 weekend pass for all three days with camping start at 175. Once you get there and you get your pass, there's a, there's a motorcycle add on that you can do for $45 sponsored by ADV Moto magazine, which seems really cool. You get an exclusive Saturday night dinner. You're, you get uh, entered into the prize. You've got like $7,000 worth of prizes to give away. They've got some guided tours and, and space is limited for this. So you've got to drop by the ADV Moto Tent just after you arrive and w- once you get signed up for the show. Drop by their website, www.overlandexpo.com. It's an event you do not want to miss. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. And the other one, of course, is IMS Products. IMS has a full line of adventure motorcycle pegs for you and I to fit our motorcycles. And they're designed for 
Adventure Motorcycling. IMS has built a reputation since 1976, building products for racers. And as you know, racers want and demand, and they can only use top quality products, products that they can beat over and over again and know they won't fail. You don't want to have something fail on you when you're racing a bike. So they bring that technology to us as adventure riders, and they've built these amazing pegs. I'm running a a set of their pegs and have been for a while now, and they're incredible. It's going to make a huge difference. If you're riding in the dirt, you need a wider peg. I'd love it if you looked at IMS pegs. Drop by their website, www.imsproducts.com. And of course, anytime you're dealing with them, even when you inquire, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Okay, so now you mentioned comms. Let's let's move into communications. Some people are running with Bluetooth headsets. Um, what's, what's the method? What have you used that's successful? We've tried a lot of different things. And again, as a trainer, we keep trying the new technologies to see what works and what doesn't. Uh, again, this is always having a manual method of, of maintaining contact is the most important way to do it. So that leapfrog method and the tag method manual, is... Manual, you're is, talking physical. So you're stopping and... Yeah, then, physical. Yeah, yeah we are yeah. stopping. We are talking. We we see other riders. That's the number one. You can't, you can't go wrong there. And do you do that even if you're using communications? Always, okay. always, always, always. Uh, just because it's so easy to to lose track or to to have miscommunication. Yeah, we're still on the trail and they make a turn, but they interpret the turn different than somebody else interprets a turn. It, it's just much better to stay in touch. So, okay, so that's most, hang on, that's good to note. So even if you're using comms while we're going into communications, even if you're using it, you're still doing the physical method. You're still doing the leapfrog or whichever method you happen to choose, even though you're talking on the comms. That's really important because I totally agree with you. With radios, it is so easy to miscommunicate. It is, and there's things that people miss uh, about the importance of seeing the other riders. And when you're just talking on the radio, you can't look at their face and see if they're exhausted or toning out. Uh, sometimes people have had mechanical issues on the bike. I, I, I was riding with a guy, um, and his front axle nut had come off, and the axle was backing out of the the front wheel. And I look down, and I see this this axle sticking out about two and a half inches from his front fork. And I was like, uh, we have a problem. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we stopped and we were able to, to run it through and, and he clamped it down and we, we did a safety, um, a safety zip tie on the other side, a, a, a stainless steel zip tie to hold everything together. And then we, we kept an eye on it as we went, but had I not seen that, you know, that very potentially could have turned into a much more serious, you know, event. And so, again, I, I think there's a benefit to to seeing the other riders. Okay, and hang so, on. Yeah, i got to stop you right there. Brett, you, you, we're going to go down a rabbit hole now, I can tell, but we'll, we'll come back to comms. You said stainless steel zip tie? Yes. Uh, when I carry in my, my recovery kit, I, of course, I carry regular zip ties and I carry JB weld and I carry the things that I think I might need to fix something on the trail. Some some small assortment of common nuts and ties, but I also carry stainless um, stainless steel zip ties. And they use them for doing like the header wraps. You can buy them like at the stores where they'll um, use it so the wrap, the, the cloth is held onto it. But also you can get them at like the, the hardware stores. And they use them in, uh, you know, for some of the ducting and things like this. And these are like 12-inch 
stainless steel zip tie and they just zip through and, and hold into place. And they've been very useful, especially for off road where if you're trying to hold body work together or if somebody's had a fractured um, luggage rack and you're trying to figure out how do we get this thing together and you're running all the straps and ties and everything else. But these stainless zip ties are, are much, much stronger, obviously, than a plastic one. So I keep a, a collection of those in my, my emergency repair kit. Oh, that's a great tip. I've not seen the stainless steel zip ties. So it's just stronger all around. It's just stronger all around. And, and I mean, they're, they're quite the, the chore just to clip off once you put them into place. And, you know, we've used them for all kinds of things. Um, and again, you know, fixing racks and body work and, and all and kinds of different heats involved. Yeah. then that's where I first was exposed to these was putting, you know, when I was on my F 800, of course it generates a lot of heat. So I did a, a wrap on the headers to try to push some of the heat down farther in the exhaust system. And these, they use these stainless zip ties, which they were really expensive. And I thought, wow, these are, these are neat. Well, our shop mechanic here, I get into his toolbox one day and he's got an entire plastic baggie of these things. I thought, <laughs> wow, where did you get these? It turns out they were down at the hardware store. So obviously I went zipping down to the hardware store and I picked up a whole you know, collection of these and I keep them now in my, my emergency repair kit. Did the header wrap work on your F-800 to save your stator? Uh, it's, it's not about the stator. It's just about pushing the heat, um, farther back in the exhaust system. So it doesn't roast me quite so much. Oh, I see. Cause a lot of people have complained about the stator and the, it's sort of the consensus is that it's the heat that it's overheating. It, it, it is the heat, but what happens in that it's not the heat from the exhaust system. It's from the electrical system. And what they're doing is it's, it's holding too much electricity in it. A lot of people think they want to cut the power out of the system. So it's not working so hard. And from what I've been told, uh, and we're down a rabbit hole now mm-hmm. is it's the way it, uh, the regular is converting the AC on it. It just, it, it bakes inside. Yeah. Cause it seems to be the, the eight hundreds are good for about 40,000 miles and the, you have to start paying attention to that. Mm. Okay. So back to comms. Um, okay, so, so we're, <laughs> that's quite the rabbit hole. <laughs> there's, a, there's a couple of different methods with comms that like at least popular ones and everyone will know about the Bluetooth method. There's a lot of Bluetooth devices out that go onto your helmets. Um, but then you can also get other devices that connect up where you can use different types of radios. I assume you've tried all of this stuff. I have, so I'll talk about the two that have been the most successful. And the the first is when we do voice comms is using FRS or GMRS radio systems. And for us, we use the chatterbox systems because they're based on that radio. Um, but also because our support vehicle, if we have one in tow, they can have a handheld radio and they can talk on the same frequency. And these are good for up to five miles, depending where you're at. So you can be in the woods and out of sight and still have communication with the, with the other riders. And we've used this on dirt bikes, we use it on our adventure bikes. And the other thing about this is it doesn't link to other radio systems where the Bluetooth systems are limited to a certain number of other radios they compare to. Because this is an open radio frequency, you can have 100 riders on the same radio. Um, unfortunately, every once in a while you'll hear somebody else talking on it as you pass a Home Depot or if some hunters are out in the woods. But that's because it's just an open radio frequency. And the, the distance difference between the two is huge. It's tremendous. Uh, with the Bluetooth systems, and, and I use the Sina, uh, it's a great system. I really like it. But I can be in sight of my other rider and not able to talk anymore. And the FRS systems, they can be over the hill and through the woods and around the trees, and we're still clear as all get out. 
So the other method that I've found to be very good for communication, and this is, you know, um, across continents, is I've been using the inReach system. And there's some other systems coming out like this where they use satellite communication. Uh, you know, some people use the spot system. It's still out there, but it's a and they do have some of the spots now that do two-way, you know, where you can text through the phone on them. Uh, but the inReach is the one I've been very successful with. In fact, when I was in Africa, that's what I was using to communicate with uh, with my wife who was in Europe at the time. So she would go on Wi-Fi with her phone and I would have the inReach and, you know, in uh, Mali or wherever I was and actually texting back and forth. But we do the same thing on the tours where they can co go from radio to radio. So our support vehicle can be completely out of cell service and outside of the reach of radio. And the rider can do the same and they can text back and forth. And so they can send GPS locations. You know, So if we, we need to go, hey, we're here, come and get us. Uh, they can send messages back and forth. If we have a delay, to let them know that hey, we we had a delay. This is what's going on. We're still on. We're still on our way. We're good, and that's really um, a really good thing to to look into is is having that communication. Because again, cell service, it, it there's a lot of places we like to go, and that's just not an option. Now, with the inReach, that clearly is something you have to stop and check. It's not something you're going to use on the fly while you're riding along. How do you know when you're supposed to check it? Well, you say that, but it's not 100%. I, I now keep myself on a lot of my navigation now I do by app. My GPS has really become more of a backup system and, and my phone is my primary navigation off-road. So it's mounted up on my dash and when I receive text through the inReach, it comes up on the phone. So when I look down, I'll see the messages immediately. Okay. But you still have to stop, of course, to communicate. I mean, I think everybody yeah, understands that. Yeah, if I want to text back and forth, um, yeah, I, absolutely. I stop to send messages. But if I glance down and see a message, I know that, oh, I need to stop and, and do that. Because I'm, I'm looking down all the time because that's my navigation. So it's always, it's, it's heads up. It's mounted high above my dash, above my gauges. So I'm just making very quick glances down just to make sure I'm still on my track or still on my route. Um, I look at things. I'm constantly checking my direction. Uh, being in the Pacific Northwest, the sun doesn't shine from the west and east. It is just sort of an orb in the the gray that's above us a lot of the time. So I'm constantly watching to see what direction I'm going. In the mountains, those roads twist and turn so much. I don't know if I was going south or north. And when I stop to check my maps and I'm referencing mountains and, and power lines, whatever, it's, it's very useful. So I'm constantly looking down. And and that's a good thing. If you're not doing that and you just have the inReach, then what you should do is, or what I would recommend is have a time frame that, hey, every, every 20 minutes, uh, you know, you'll stop and take, you know, check really quick or with every 30 minutes or whatever your group decides is reasonable so that if you're sending messages for help, you know, well, they, they might get it, but it's going to be half an hour or 20 minutes or whatever else. And at least that way you have kind of a check-in uh, period. Now, when it comes to Bluetooth, the, the, it doesn't have the distance that an FRS radio has, so that's one of its limitations. It's beautifully clear, like they're, they're beautifully clear systems. So there are some setups that you can get where you hook up your Bluetooth setup to another radio, to an FRS radio, and we're actually going to do this. Uh, we're going to talk about one of the Cena units, the SR10, in an upcoming episode. Um, but that's a nice way to get the FRS radio connected into your head. Otherwise, you could run just a you know straight wires, whatever system works for you. But what I'm getting to is, it's really the FRS that we want for off-road stuff, isn't it? it? It's it's really the only thing that's out there that's viable. 
uh, CB radios are, don't really work that well. They don't get that much dis- distance. This is definitely the, the smallest, the most powerful, the most consistent uh, radio source to do that. And we've used the Bluetooth with those conversions and, and had the FRS radios as well. And although it, it's a few more things in link, it, it is a good way to do that. So you're not having to buy a, a chatterbox unit that's very expensive and then also have your your Cena because on the road, I primarily just leave the Cena in my helmet. I, it's extremely clear. And especially when I'm talking on the phone or, uh, you know, if an instructor is trying to get a hold of me because, again, they can communicate to me. If I'm riding, they need help, they call me on the phone. I'm like, oh, okay, uh, we'll come get you. So it, it is a, a very good way to to bring in that other technology if you have a preference for you know Bluetooth radio systems, which are the, the most popular right now. So when we're riding with a group, let's say you're leading the group, what are some precautions that you have to run or, or take in mind as the leader? Earlier, we mentioned this idea of a group mentality that, that comes into play. And a lot of times we do things that we wouldn't do if we were by ourselves. And stopping and how we stop is one of those. When we're by ourselves, we generally pull off to the side of the road. We stop out of traffic or we find a safe place to go. And in the groups, a lot of times we we don't really think about how we're stopping. And, and every single time I go out on a, on a tour, we bring this up. And every single time we have to remind riders usually multiple times throughout the tour that uh, we're now out in the middle of the road and there's logging trucks that use this road or there's other riders using the road. And so we, of course, you know, choose and, and tag places along our route. So we have large areas. So when we pull off on a on a planned stop, all of the riders can get off the road, you know, from a safety standpoint. But also we don't want to look we don't want to be jerks. <laughs> you know, other people are using these roads and, you know, a big logging truck comes around the corner, has to stop because there's motorcycles spread all over the road. Not only is it dangerous, but it's just rude. And, and so, yeah, f- picking a spot that is safe, that accommodates all the riders. And, uh, these are things that should be considered, uh, again, whether we're on the pavement or whether we're off road, it doesn't matter. It's the same, the same issue. Sort of goes without saying, too, going through intersections, a lot of times groups, they get excited and, and they want to keep rushing through the intersection. It, it almost like you, you feel like you have this ability to ignore, uh, you know, traffic signs and, and lights, et cetera, and just keep going because you're with your group. Yeah, we and we see it all the time. And the only thing I do different um, at those intersections going through is I'll ride side by side. You know, so when riders come up to a stop, they'll move from a single file or from a staggered formation to a side by side. And that just allows all the riders to get through the intersection um, safely and quicker. And then once they get through the intersection, those two riders space out. But yeah, too many times I've seen riders do that where they just go, you know, they just go through the intersection and they just hold it. I've even seen groups where they'll, they'll park a rider and they'll act like a, like a traffic cop and try to stop cars while all the riders go through. And that's just really not cool. You know, and, and in the dirt, it gets even worse because riders will go through and we're talking dirt, uncontrolled dirt intersections and the first two riders go through and they're safe and every other rider just goes blasting through in this haze of dust, hoping that no other cars coming the other direction. And so, uh, again, we just really have to keep our, our heads about ourselves. So, I mean, clearly, if you're going to lead a group, I really think you want to you want to do some more work into understanding what it takes to run a group, possibly actually go out with an organized group, like, you know, go on a a paid trip with somebody to get an idea. But um, are there any other glaring things that a a group leader should be aware of? 
there's I, I guess the reason I'm saying this, Brett, is because a lot of a lot of people aren't going to do a they're not going to do what's called an organized group. They're going to go out. They're going to say, yeah, you know, I'm going on Sunday. Does anyone else want to go? You see it on Facebook all the time. And then a bunch of people want to go out. It's those people really that I'm that, uh, you know, I'm asking for. I would caution them about the assumptions. You know, I really would. I, I mentioned earlier about looking at the riders, looking at the riders gear choice looking at when they roll in to come to a stop, are they stumbling to get their feet down or do they come off very confidently looking at the conditions of the bikes? Because these are all things that you don't have to be organized, but you're making a choice to ride with these guys. And then the other side is a lot of these riders that come unprepared when something goes wrong, they're just expecting everybody else to pick up the slack and take care of them. And they're probably not carrying any kind of first aid gear. They're probably not carrying any recovery stuff. They, they may not have tools. And if they do, they may not know how to use them. And if you're choosing to ride with them, that's, you're, you're assuming that, you know, you're, you're assuming that responsibility just for the fact that you're with them. And, and you have to be careful because if you don't want to be an organized group leader and ride leader, uh, make, you know, make your choices wisely. There is a sort of an implied responsibility, isn't there? As soon as you say, hey, I'm organizing this trip, there's an implied responsibility. People are inevitably going to respond to that thinking that you've got it all worked out. And that's exactly what happens. If you just want to go have a, a ride with some buddies, then have a ride with some buddies. But as soon as you start inviting people or throw something out on the Internet, um, yeah, there is an implied responsibility. And, you know, in a worst case scenario, an implied liability you know, there's a lot of dealerships that that are in our area that won't even let groups leave from the dealership parking lot because there's an assumption that somehow because they allowed them to rally there that now the dealership is, you know, sanctioning or sponsoring it. And then somebody has an issue and they blame the dealership. I mean, it's liability is not something to be taken lightly and not anymore. Uh, the lawyers. Well, let's... Um, and on that note... <laughs> <laughs> is there anything le that we left out for off-road that you want to talk about? Because I want to ask you about street. No, I, I think that's a, a whole lot for people to, to think about uh, and, and a lot of tips and, and hopefully things that will make a big difference uh, on their next ride to make it more enjoyable, to make it safer. So when it comes to street riding now, just a, a street ride, what sort of precautions should we be looking at with that? So street rides, the, the difference in the street rides as opposed to the off-road, I, I use the same tagging method or leapfrog method when riders get spaced out so that they can relax and they don't feel like they have to keep up with the other riders. You know, if they're going through a twisty section of road or they just want to ride at a different pace. And, and that's, that's the first step is that all the stuff we talk about off-road still pretty much applies on-road with the exception of maybe the dust. But the other thing that, that we have to keep in mind for on-road is we're often much closer proximity to those other riders. And that means that if something happens, you have to keep in mind what is the rider behind you going to do? And, and have you left yourself an actual out? Uh, are you riding side by side? That means you have no room to go left or right if there's a problem. Uh, if you go to stop, and you stop very well. Let's just say you've come down and done one of the classes and you go, look, I stop as good as a minivan. I, I'm, I'm an awesome rider. But the rider behind you is no good. Then all of a sudden you have this rider bowling through the entire group at this stop sign. So one of those is just where you put your newer riders. And, and I, there are people that like to put them at the back and that's their choice. But my recommendation is always in the number two position, you know, right behind the lead rider. 
So that way, if there's a problem, they can be seen. They're also right at the front. They're seeing everything that's going on. And there is that sort of a, a accordion effect that you mentioned to me one time about groups. And it's sort of like a train. It's why they pull away slowly with the train, because once the, uh, the back car starts moving, the front car is moving very quickly if you were just to go real fast right off the start. And that happens with groups. Yeah, we see this in, in traffic all the time with traffic jams, this cording effect where the first the first bike, or in our case, the first bike pulls out and they, they pull out and do a very reasonable 30 miles an hour. Well, the next bike pulls around the corner. Well, there's a delay in that turn and then they have to accelerate it 33 miles an hour to catch up and the next one's doing 38 and then by the time you get to the back of the pack they're doing 70 miles an hour to catch up to close that group back in and so that's not exactly where you want the the new riders at the back the other thing is if you're riding staggered on the road that means that that new rider has a clear path right past the lead rider so if they don't stop they're not going to hit anybody except for what's in front of them they're not going to be distracted by all the, the taillights in front of them, what all the bikes are doing. So they're not going to focus on that. We all go where we look. We've all done it on the, on the trail where we see a rock and we go, oh, look at that. Oh, shucks. <laughs> you know, and the next thing we know, we know yeah. we hit the rock. And riders do the same thing. And new riders will focus on the bikes in the line. They're not going to look beyond that and look at traffic and try to read that for themselves. So having that rider in the second position is, is what I recommend. Now, if you have a large group, Break your group into smaller groups. So don't have a group of 20 riders. Make you know groups of three or four and then break those apart. And then maybe those new riders are one of the, the groups towards the back, but they're still in the second position for that group. And that also keeps us from blocking those intersections, like you mentioned, where people feel like they have to keep this, this group of 10 or 15 riders all together. Instead, it's like, okay, we have four riders. Our group is our small group is still intact, and the next group of four is coming through. And uh, definitely something I've recommended for like military riders who do these very large groups. They all get together, and they may have 150 riders doing one of these these rides. And we've helped them get away from these parades and breaking them into smaller groups of of three to five riders. And they've all come back saying that they feel sa- they have more fun because they get to ride at their own pace. They feel safer. Uh, the, the public doesn't react to them negatively because they're not taking up a mile of road. You know, when you start spacing out on the freeway, stagger formation, 10 riders is a really long line. And then the cars can't, you know, can't get across to the exits or, or do what they want to do. So it, it, we really do need to pay attention to what's out there and the other drivers on the road and what we look like to the, to the general public. How do you handle or do you use the leapfrog method when you've broken it into smaller groups? We, we do use that. And it, it, we use it exactly the same. Our lead always stays intact. Our, our sweep is always the same. It's only the riders in between that that do the leapfrog. But when we go up into the roads that we're looking for, you know, those twisty mountain roads, and if there's a turn intersection there, that allows us to really space out. And from from a, a street rider's perspective, I like the fact that if there's nobody visually in front of me, I get to read the road for what it is for me. I get to look for my own vanishing points and choose my own line. And, and nobody's influencing me for when I break or how hard I accelerate. And so we very much encourage those riders to, to do that, to, to space themselves out so they're riding their own ride. And as long as they know when the next intersection comes up that they need to make a turn, somebody's going to be sitting there, they're much more likely to do that. And that makes it for a much safer, much more enjoyable ride. Now, this applies to both off-road and on-road how do you set up brakes? What do you, what do you do when you're doing a trip? 
I, you know, when I make stops, and I mentioned this whole idea that even when we have comms, I want to see riders' faces. So first of all, every hour, I'm going to make sure that we get off the bike because there's always going to be some rider that needs to do this. In fact, um, there was an incident that happened, you know, several years ago, quite a few years ago now, where I was riding with two other instructors. And I'm, I'm a person who's almost always, you know, tired and dehydrated and underfed. And that's just how I live life. Every, every moment's like this. And this other rider who worked, you know, worked with us and, and rode with us, he was somebody who, who stopped and took breaks. He was always making sure he was hydrated. He was, he was eating constantly. So he was, you know, doing this grazing method. And we went on this street ride and it was at the end of the day and we were heading up into the mountains and about 30 miles, uh, about 30 minutes out of the, the nearest town by road. And we went through a corner and I looked in my mirror and his bike went down and it not hard. We weren't going that fast. He was going maybe 30 miles an hour to be, you know, to be honest. And he was fully geared. I mean, he had everything, the armored pants and the armored helmet. And I mean, he was completely equipped. I thought, oh, he's going to be really upset because this is a new bike to him. And I turned around and he wasn't there. Well, long story short, he, he nearly died on the mountain and there was only one other rider in front and we had no cell phone communication. It was five hours before he was inside of a hospital and he got there by helicopter. But when I look back at that and go, what went wrong? And what I recognized was that when I stopped, I wasn't paying attention to whether he was, and we were just hanging out together. We weren't doing a group ride. But when I stopped, I wasn't paying attention to whether he was drinking water and I wasn't paying attention to whether he was eating. And he was far out of his norm. We had ridden farther than he was accustomed to. He wasn't getting the breaks he was accustomed to. He wasn't drinking. And so when you're leading a group ride, you you need to make sure that you take those breaks, that you look around and make sure people are, are have time to get that water. And again, that's what's nice about the leapfrog off-road is you have a longer delay. You have time to drink some water if you're that rider that needs it. Um, I don't drink water. I don't wear a hydro pack. I drink once a day or once a week, whatever I decide is needed. That's water, a lot like a camel, you realize. Yeah. <laughs> well, I've been, I've been uh, told that before. So it's very important for me to schedule those stops because I don't, I don't necessarily need them, but other riders do. Um, and then every time I do the leapfrog, to stop and look at that other rider and, and say something to them and, and watch them react. How quickly do they respond? Is it appropriate? Is it proper? And, and then we, you know, we go on. So yeah, the, I think planning breaks and, and planning, you know, reasonable lunchtime and not thinking about what you need, but what's the lowest common denominator of your group? What are they going to need? And that's how you plan it out. I like the point of watching your buddies. I mean, even you're saying you're just out with a couple of buddies for a ride. It's really good to just watch each other, isn't it? You know, I mean, what, what you're saying there, I think is an excellent point. I, it was the, the most, you know, that incident that I mentioned, and I was a firefighter in the past and, and I've dealt with, you know, I, I've worked with people. This is, this is not a big deal normally, but I was never so terrified in my life being on that mountain where it's just me and, and this one other rider and no cell phone and no medical equipment. And, and it just went from a really, really awesome day to a really horrible day in, in a very short period of time. I mean, I, it just in a moment and I work very hard to not let that happen, you know, ever again. And, and it never has, and hopefully it never will. But those are the scenarios riders don't like to think about. And if we don't think about them, we don't plan for them. And if you don't plan for them, 
it can be far worse than, you know, than if you, than if you're ready, you know, having medical training or having gear with you or having communication already set up, um, having a contingency plan. If somebody breaks their bike, you mentioned that before about, you know, you know, what is the contingency plan? Is there a friend hanging out in town at work that has a truck and worst case scenario, we call the guy with the truck to come get us, you know, that's stuff that people really should be thinking about. Brett, as always, great talk. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. Can't wait till next time. Well, that, of course, was Brett Tax, and he's from PSSOR. He's one of the owners at PSSOR. And um, he, if you were interested in some of the trips that he was mentioning there for, for 2018, actually, you should drop by their website, www.pssor.com. They've got a whole bunch of training programs there, everything from classes on off-road bikes um, right on up. When you met, he'd mentioned there about the expeditions, they do expedition training where they're taking on the, the Washington backcountry discovery route. Some some very cool stuff. And I think you probably get an idea of what Brett's like, so it sort of gives you an idea of what PSSOR is like, world-class training. I mean, they have quite a reputation there. And it um, looks like you're looking at 2018, so now might be the time to, to drop by and have a look at that. Anyway, find out more about Brett uh, by dropping by their website there at pssor.com. Max BMW Motorcycles has been outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories available online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. And you can sign up for their e-rider newsletter too. It's free. maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. Best Rest Products is home of the Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. Whether you're on the road or off the road, you're going to want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and will inflate a flat tire in less than three minutes. It's the one we use here at Adventure Rider Radio. Made in the USA and comes with a lifetime warranty. And Motorcycle Consumer News Magazine just chose the Cycle Pump as the MCM top pick in their recent compressor comparison. www.cyclepump.com Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made, heavy-duty, innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. Turn any dry bag into motorcycle luggage using their unique strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is all tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse of adventure riding. And that has gained them a top reputation for tough, reliable gear. www.greenchiliadv.com That's www.greenchiliadv.com The MotoBreeze chain oiler is powered by wind pressure that automatically adjusts for speed no electrical or vacuum connections it delivers oil to your chain with a felt pad that's mounted on your swing arm which eliminates the problems of exposed nozzles near your sprockets get more miles from your chain and sprockets and forget about the messy spray oil www.motobreeze.com that's two eyes in there www.motobreeze.com
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and to you, the listener. Thank you very much. If you like what we're doing here and you want to hear more, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. You can download all the episodes for free, and the show notes are there. You just have to click on the, the podcast link while you'll find your way and find the show notes for each episode. We've got some things on there that you can look at that we talked about on the show and links to the things that we've spoken about. So be sure to drop by the website. Also, our show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. And we really thank those listeners that have been supporting us. It's absolutely fantastic. I've been pushing the Patreon or patron uh, program that we're signed up for, which is a monthly donation plan. If you'd like to, drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com and click on the support button. That'll take you over there. You can look at all the different ways to support. Anything $10 or more is going to get you a sticker sent back at you. Any $50 or more is going to get you a mention on our Raw Show. That's our other show, by the way, which you can download for free. Just drop by the website or any place that you download podcasts. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks for listening. See you next week. I'm Heather Ellis, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 